Ladies, gentlemen, geeks of all ages, you are now entering BJ Shea's Geek Nation. Welcome. Yes, welcome to BJ Shea's Geek Nation. I am the Reverend Fuego. Across from me is Vicky Barcelona. Hello. Show's namesake, BJ Shea, is on assignment, but running the boards is Joey Dees. Ohio. Oh, hello. On today's show, we will see whether or not Matt Reeves' The Batman is a Joker sequel. The arguments for that. Brendan Fraser will be a bad guy. So that's kind of exciting. And Game of Thrones, all of those sex scenes were just a mess, and we'll discuss that. And of course, the Geek Sheet with Vicky B. Vicky, how can people get a hold of us? Get a hold of us via our website, pjgeeknation.com. .com. We can have our blogs, podcasts, and more. Please, sir. Please, or just search for BJ Shades Geek Nation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, iTunes, and the Odyssey. Yeah, so many ways to get a hold of us. And we do appreciate the feedback. And uh, even if it's just commenting on our social media, just search for BJ Shades Geek Nation or BJGeekNation.com because we have all of that. Uh, Vicky posts a ton of things. We just yep. talk about a small amount of stuff on the podcast. But if you want to get super nerdy and you check out all that stuff, you can uh, find all of those things that she posts. And it's just it's way more than just memes. I mean, there is a There's lot of memes, too, but I usually try to post anytime there is any new information, like new trailers that have dropped or new yeah. casting information or anything that's like big, big news. I try to get that up as soon as possible for you guys to all be in the know as well. Yeah, we record uh, these podcasts with a little delayed on some of that breaking news stuff. We try to be as timely as possible, but sometimes things don't work out that way. But it gives us a chance to talk about it at a longer form and uh, we can get those immediate reactions, get those anger or those heart emoji uh, likes on there as quickly as possible with that. This was one that was very interesting because I wasn't sure if this was real or not, but there is somewhat of an argument to state that the possibility of Matt Reeves' The Batman with Robert Pattinson might be somewhat of a sequel to Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. Now, when we first saw Joker, it was one of those things where I felt that this was a person who... Like loved Batman and loved the Joker, and essentially those people who are like uh, like Rick and Morty fans and who are mm -hmm. like, okay, yeah, like Rick's my spirit animal, nope. and you're like, no, you or like Punisher is you know the mm. my spirit animal, mm -mm. and you're like, you know, they're doing it for the wrong reasons, and it felt like anybody who was very excited about. Um, the Joker and that sort of thing kind of fell into that, but also that the character himself kind of was like, no, I am the Joker because the Joker's cool and this is what I'm going to be doing mm -hmm. and how that whole movie played out. Well, it seems like maybe, and a lot of people thought, it maybe he might have actually been the Joker and it might have been like a sly origin story. Hmm. Now... A lot of fans have speculated, and I found this over on Comic Book Resources, how the Batman would fit into the DC's pantheon of films and whether or not it would be like a DCEU sort of thing. But basically, it's just kind of standalone, not really part of anything. Um, but after the latest trailer, it might be that Warner Brothers is kind of covering things up. And again, this is from an article on CBR. Um, both of the properties have similar grim tones, painting a broken Gotham. There's the dark music, the haunting cinematography, the bleak aesthetic, suggesting that Reeves is making his story character-driven, akin to the trailers in an eventual film from Phillips, where Joaquin's phoenix, Arthur Fleck, descended into madness and became the clown prince of crime. 
And now with the trailers from Reeves's film, it seems like it might be a spiritual successor. Um, thematically, apart from Gotham's burning and tearing itself apart, Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne seems to be entrapped in a systems of system of lies and deceit. He's actually super brutal too. And just the fact that they're not shying away from him wearing like the armor and getting just point blank shot. Like a lot of the scenes had that as well. And just the same way that Arthur and just everything with the lies and deceit kind of felt in with what Arthur hated about how society was, where people promised would to help him with jobs and stuff, or like even how his mother seemingly lied about Thomas Wayne being his dad and tried to extort money. Yeah, I believe at the end of the Joker, if I'm not incorrect it's not necessary that you know that he's the joker at the end of it right that it's the origin story that gave birth to the joker meaning he might be it or it could be whatever the book he leaves behind or all his memoirs and the mental institution yeah is what drives someone to become the joker and then in the trailer for the batman you can see some of the things where we can see the sins of my father as well as renewal is a lie which may be clues from the riddler or bruce uncovering secrets about himself or maybe the fact that he found out that his father did have an illegitimate child and all of this is legit But again, the whole Joker movie really was about an unreliable narrator as well. Yeah, which could be really cool if the idea is that Bruce is going along this journey of finding out that his dad might not have been the gem he thought he was kind of a thing. Right, yeah. And then it might also be a lie, but it's one of those like half-truths, right? Where like you get something from a crazy guy who says it's true, but you don't know how true it is, and then Bruce is trying to figure that out, and then it comes to be one of those opinion things instead at the end. Mm -hmm. And as the article continues on, it says, with Phillips' movie concluding with the Joker seemingly breaking out of the asylum, Paul Dano's Riddler... In for the Batman may very well turn out to be the ultimate acolyte uh, for the Joker. Joker did incite many people to riot, with one eventually killing the Waynes, so this might be a dark mix of irony, coincidence, and karma. The Riddler could fit in as the one who knows the truth, ergo his game, and the homages where it seems like he's the Joker in a state of tribute, uh, being kind of like Hannibal Lecter to the Dark Knight, which would be, you know, if they kind of mixed it that way, where it was the Riddler just being like, no, The worst guy is out there right now. I'm just showing you the way in true Riddler fashion. That's I got goosebumps right now just thinking about the (laughs) the, the implications of how that could actually turn out to be. And if they did that, genius long game at that point. Yeah, this could be really awesome. I mean, it's a very different take on Batman. Even uh, Ben Affleck's uh, uh, Batman being dark was more of a depressing dark, I want to say, as opposed to an aggressive dark. Yeah, there was more sadness rather than that kind of raw anger, Yeah, which they've already said that this is going to be, obviously, Robert Pattinson's younger than Ben Affleck, so it's going to be a younger year of Batman, him kind of getting into that. But but even they're even saying that what if it was like the Riddler being groomed by Arthur to do all these things to push it forward? Like, I can see the connotations there. And maybe it's just me thinking in that Spider-Man, multiverse, all the things that are happening. Like, everyone now, it's like the multiverse is the hot thing. Yeah. So everyone's trying to connect everything to something. They could just be standalone films, but wouldn't it be neat if they weren't? Yeah, I mean, if if you brought... If you like you said, if you did the thing where Joker is grooming the Riddler, but we don't really see the Joker until the end, mm-hmm. and then you realize, wow, this is going to be another movie, I could definitely see that being a hit. I'd be, I'd be totally down with that. Now, going from a different film in the DC, I don't know if it's DCEU, DCU, I don't know what the hell's going on with it, but the Batgirl film has landed Brendan Fraser as its main villain. 
Wow, he's back. He got um, I don't know, like I don't want to say shunned, but he took a step away. I think himself from Hollywood. Yeah, for a he while. had some. It was like some sexual abuse allegations and some stuff that really kind of took him out of the limelight. It was um, against him. He didn't do anything, right? No, no, he didn't do anything. It was yeah. done to him. Yeah, which yeah. essentially kind of turns because Hollywood is a terrible, horrible thing. And not even joking at this point. It's just the way that people can get blacklisted because. Somebody like they wanted to report somebody doing something terrible to them, yeah. And so that was kind of that. Also, he kind of gave up on Hollywood himself, but he came back in. It was a Doom Patrol that he's in, yes, yes. So he's come back in that sort of light. So he's been able to do this, and looks like according to Deadline, Frazier will reportedly play Firefly. Though this has not yet been completely confirmed, uh, it's just that the news shortly after reports of the film's casting call for a villain began to circulate. The, do- the call described a character with a backstory similar to that of the classic comic book Arsonist. It was reported earlier this year that Batgirl was looking for an actor in his 50s or 60s to play the villain who is described as a disgruntled former firefighter. While it's possible that the film will present audiences with an original villain, the casting call suggests a character that is at least inspired by Firefly if if not an adaptation of the villain itself. If you don't know anything about Firefly, he appeared in 1952's Detective Comics 184, and he's gone on to appear in the television shows, video games, and more. He was in Gotham, but it was portrayed by a female. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. 100%. And it, we'll have to see what happens with this. Batgirl was written by screenwriter Christina Hodgson's and is being directed by Adele El-Arabi, and uh, with Kristen Burr attached as producer. Barbara Gordon is going to be uh, Leslie Grace, who has stated that her character, Batgirl, is a badass, and she's definitely going to be fighting lots of people. She'll be very hands-on. She's got a lot to prove. All right. Right? I like that. That seems mm-hmm. kind of fun right there. Now, I do know that we all, I think I think, I think we're pretty cool with like the first six seasons of Game of Thrones, right? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, like seven and eight were kind of fast-forward, and I mean, they, it was beautiful. The entire thing was beautiful, and everyone loved it for the sex scenes. And I love this article because... And I hate the fact that it's over because now I don't know what to get my mom for Christmas. Aww. Every year I got her a D- the DVD pack. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Did you get her 7 and 8 and just say prepare for disappointment? Well, she saw them at, like, in the moment, but she oh, would go okay, back okay, and okay. watch them. But <laughs> even well, then, we have HBO Max now. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, right. Mm. Uh, it seems actress Gemma Whelan, who played Yara Greyjoy in Game of Thrones, has said that the show's sex scenes were a, quote, frenzied mess. Hmm. During an interview with The Guardian, she recalled her time filming intimate scenes on Game of Thrones where the actors were left to get it on, to get on with it. They used to just say, when we shout action, go for it. And then there'd be sort of a frenzied mess. She said, but between the actors, there was always an instinct to check in with each other. Now on the uh, on the HBO fantasy show, Whelan played the bisexual Lady Yara Greyjoy, mm-hmm. who shared more than a few sex scenes throughout the show's eight seasons. Uh, she goes on to say, there was a scene in a brothel with a woman, and she was so exposed that we talked together about uh, where the camera would be and what she was happy with, she explained. A director might say, bit of the boob biting, then slap her bum and go. <laughs> oh, my. Wow. But I'd always talk it through with the other actor. During the second season of Game of Thrones in 2012, Whelan performed one of the show's most infinite sex scenes, a horseback scene involving Yara's brother Theon, played by Alfie. Alfie Mm. was very much, is this okay? How are we going to make this work? And Whelan explains that in addition to intimacy directors, uh, film set employees specifically brought to help the actors feel comfortable with love or sex scenes, that has improved the the process on other projects. With intimacy directors, it's choreography. You move there, I move there, and permission and consent is given before you start. It's a step in the right direction. Recently, Game of Thrones star Kit Haring 
Yeah. Recently, Game of Thrones star Kit Harrington described mental health issues he faced while filming the show, which led him to take a break from acting. And it seems like, yeah, a lot of that whole thing was a bit, again, she said a frenzied mess with just the sex scenes, but it seems mm-hmm. like with a lot of everything it was. And I, you know what? I just kind of assumed that I would, I didn't know the name of intimacy director, but it felt like that would make sense. Like you would have someone there because yeah, it should be choreography. It should be people simulating sex. It should be essentially like a dance move as they're acting on there. It's a pretty fancy dance move. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. I mean, it's <laughs> fancy for everyone. Spin, turn, jump. <laughs> Spin, turn. Grab the pillow. <laughs> Whoa. No, they, they use pillows for sex scenes, like in different shows and movies oh. as like a buffer. If you will. Really? Yeah, I was reading one with like Jake Gyllenhaal and a movie with Jake Gyllenhaal and uh, Jennifer Aniston. Mm-hmm. They had a, you know, not not too graphic sex scene, but he's like, yep, there was a pillow in place. <laughs> Just keep <laughs> everything that, away. Yeah, I guess that makes sense then. Uh, moving on from the sexy stuff to maybe the more gruesome stuff. Mm. Joe, your father has said, and he has finished it, and he says he loved it, Squid Game is a show where... I, I watched the first episode, haven't totally got into, and yet you have decided to continue watching it. And while you're not finished, you're still really enjoying it, right? I've thrown my name into the game, Rev. Oh, really? I've thrown my name. No. You, uh, oh you my accepted gosh. the challenge there? I, would, I don't and, think uh, I could ever do that. Donned the uh, green suit. and Oh, dude, this, this show is uh, nuts. I mean, let me tell you. <laughs> Uh, I knew it was a show about killing people, but they really, uh, they don't hold back. I'm going to tell you that much. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I've only seen the first episode, but it starts off with a a large amount of people, which gets, um, I guess, cut down to size is kind of the most appropriate way to put that because they really get rid of a lot of people in that first episode pretty quickly. Yeah, this show essentially is one gigantic social commentary thrown around a Hunger Games-esque type, uh, you know, storyline. But they do it really well. I got to tell you, the acting is absolutely phenomenal. Probably some of the best I've seen in any show of wow. recent. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool. It's very gory, and it's going to hit you hard in like the the feels. You know, in terms of how much you get connected to these characters, and there's no good or bad kind of a thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're all essentially prisoners at this point playing a game that they voluntarily joined to be, whether it be coercion or not. But there, it's still, quote-unquote, a game, and you're in there to win. Yeah, essentially the premise is that every person that's playing these games is in some sort of financial crisis mm-hmm. that they can't get out of. So going back to the real world will leave them in the same spiral that they were already in. So they join this game of equality, as they like to sell it as, where every player has the same chance to win a game of random choice. But as you kind of see with the commentary, it's not really true. Yeah. Uh, but it's just interesting how they tell it and the games they have to play and the, you know what characters are playing it and why. But man, I, every episode, I, I'm like, I kind of, you kind of know what's going to happen, right? But the way that you kind of get connected by it is like you do through the characters' feelings, you know, as mm-hmm. every great show does. Walking Dead's not really about zombies; it's about the characters. Totally, you know? yeah, absolutely. Same concept, and it's it's quick and to the point, which is what I like. It was built for a season. I don't know if there are going to be more seasons because I'm not at the complete end yet. But it, it's one of those ones where I really like that the story moves fast but connects you at that same point yeah. where you're like, I'm getting a full story while being connected to it. Whereas, you know, you're not, you know, you're not going to get that three or four season push where you might get half a story character storyline <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, it's very yeah. much designed to tell you this complete social commentary on what's going on. And not even just for, I think either North or South Korea or any of the Koreas. It's really about, you know, a lot of different countries. Oh yeah. And the way and just they run the state things. of capitalism at this point in our lives. Yeah, and I mean the giant floating piggy bank that lights <laughs> up every time someone gets gacked is just hilarious. I'm <laughs> kind of surprised no one decided to try to be like that for Halloween. 
Oh, dude, I heard that a lot of schools <laughs> ban people trying to dress up like that. Oh, and it was just like even just the suits they have, either it be the the wardens or the people who are participating in the game, which are fairly basic games or costumes, but it kind of turned out to the kids are kind of playing. I mean, they're all based off of children's games, but when you kind of mix in the brutality of what this show is about, I can... I can understand to a point the fact that they don't want the kids to dress up like that because then the kids are going to be playing weird versions of Red Light, Green Light, and Tug of War, and maybe you just don't want that in the on the playground. Yeah, no no offense to anyone who did dress up as a Squid Games character, but I'm just going to tell you, you might have missed the social commentary aspect a little <laughs> too much because this is to me, this is the equivalent of playing like Cowboys versus Indians and then teaching everyone, this might not be something we should have our kids doing. Fair enough. Yeah, I can see that. Like any adult doing it, get it. It's fine. But if you're dressing up a kid like that, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. you have them pick their favorite Disney character. Yeah, instead. you know, go with Batman or something. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right, then. Well, it's cool. So you're still going to end up watching it. Can you even binge this? Do you feel like you can watch it while you're binging it, or do you need to like take a break? Because I definitely had to take a break after the first one. There are at least two episodes that you have to binge because they leave you on cliffhangers. Oh, okay, okay, for okay. sure. But then, yeah, I mean, there's times where you're going to like end an episode and just want a break. Oh, you're like, just wow. take a break. Go watch. Uh, go look at some puppies or something. Yeah, let that sit in. Because man, I, I don't even. I can't. I don't want to do anything yeah. else about it because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's don't, worth a watch. Yeah, no spoilers on that. So I guess we will just now move on to the Geek Sheet with Vicky B. All right, Vicky, what you got? Kind of a spoiler. Oh, okay. Well, spoiler alert. What's it spoilering? It is spoilering Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Okay, okay. And so this is a spoiler that has been brought to you by merchandising. Yeah. This is how I know what uh, Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman Two or whatever what uh, Cheetah's vo- like what what she was gonna look like. That's right. I found out like way before the pictures came out when I went to Walmart and I saw the dolls. Oh, I saw really? the Barbie dolls. I saw Cheetah both versions, like her sexy outfit and then her as Cheetah, and then I saw also Wonder Woman's outfit when I went and I saw the Barbie dolls. It's like okay. Well, this happened to me, but uh, the internet is a thing, <laughs> and someone posted it. What and again, spoiler alert. We have the villain. A, the villain or I, a villain? At least a villain. Okay. And this is based off of an adult coloring pad and puzzle. And it's it, what? it's very <laughs> it's a cartoon look. It still looks comic booky, but it says Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness on the branding. So that's how we know it's for the, the movie. Legit, yeah. Um but it looks like uh I love that this uh, article says feast your eyes or I, <laughs> on Shuma Goroth. Yes. The tentacled monster who is sure to pose quite a challenge for Strange and his friends in Multiverse of Madness. And if you're not really certain who he's, he is, because I don't know who he is, he kind of looks like a souped-up Mike Wazowski. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> if, uh, I wasn't familiar with him until there came out. I, I don't know if it was in the first one. Maybe maybe it was Marvel versus Capcom 2, the fighting game. Oh. They had <laughs> Shuma Garoth in it, however which way you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. He is an eyeball surrounded by many tentacles. He's mm-hmm. a cosmic horror sort of kind of Cthulhu type thing. 
And so Cthulhu and Mike Wazowski had a baby, and it was this. Kind of, yeah. Mike and Wazowski from Monsters, Inc., by the way. He's one of these, like, ancient monsters who's been around forever. And if you watched, um, if you watched oh, What If. okay. So he was the tentacles in What If. Uh, well, everyone was speculating at that point. And the fact that he's in the multiverse of madness, it seems to lend towards that. Everyone kind of figured maybe the tentacles would be part of Shumagarath. I was like, well, there's a lot of tentacle monsters in the known multiverse, right? It could be someone else. But, I mean, just the official merchandise kind of seems to prove it this way. Yes. And he kind of, also from looking at other pictures, he looks like that monster from, is it uh, Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, which one? The one that's a giant ball, an oh, eyeball with the teeth. the Beholder. The Beholder. He looks yeah. like the Beholder without teeth. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's and, exactly what he looks like. And it's just one of those things. He can bend reality. He can do all sorts of uh, crazy things. Think of him as another sort of kind of Dormammu. Uh, esque type entity so maybe not one that uh dr strange can actually defeat but maybe bargain with yeah he says that sometimes or you know according to the marvel fandom database sometimes he's stated out to be an omnipotent and ancient demon so Mm kind of godlike if you will uh he has powers like energy projection reality manipulation shape-shifting levitation teleportation vast mystical powers and immortality yeah yeah it's one of those things where you can't kill him but you can banish him and hope he goes away for a little while and i feel that this is going to kind of meld well with like a kang the conqueror type Mm -hmm. and especially with the what if so we saw mm -hmm. him with uh peggy carter that's what grabs her and sends her into the future this is all or agent carter i should Mm -hmm. say uh, this is, you know, we saw obviously multiple t- tentacles over the course of the whole <laughs> season. That's right. So we got a villain. I, I, is he going to be the main villain? Is it going to be like the Starro situation in Suicide Squad or the Aww. Suicide Squad? Yeah, right. Not saying like, you he know, was the same sad. Fate. It was a sad thing that for was. him on that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm confused. Are we not going to get Kang then? Um, I know that Kang, uh, as pronounced on that one, like I know that uh, the, the character Kang the Conqueror will be in Quantum Mania. So we don't necessarily know which version of Kang might be in Multiverse of Madness. I feel like we're just going to, if we see him at all in any movies that come out from here on out, it's going to be sprinkled in. Yeah. Kind of like we had Thanos for a long time, like at the end credit or mentioned, or we just saw him briefly. I feel like that's what's going to be Kang for a while until we have the big boss fight. We'll get a lot of variants, and the actor is Jonathan Majors, and they say that the first full Kang appearance will be in 2023's Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I can't go a whole year without Kang. Uh, You're going to have to go longer than a whole year, about a year and a half now, at least at that point, depending on how far they push it back. I know, like, Loki teased that so hard, and you're just like, what the hell's going on? I feel that there's going to be different variants because that was the one big thing that He Who Remains said. There's going to be an infinite amount of me out there, and some of them aren't as nice as me, and he wasn't nice at all, really, to be nope. perfectly honest. Uh, he was very, well, what would you, something neutral, like, uh, yeah, chaotic neutral chaotic is kind neutral of, neutral would be the best way. It's kind yeah. of that sort of thing. He's just like, well, what will happen will happen, and I don't care. I'm just telling you how it is, and I tried to keep these things together because it was just more of me screwing everything up. Mm-hmm. It's got to be awkward. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I also have, I can't pick which one, so I might have you guys pick. Okay. Would you, because this is kind of tying along. Do we want to talk about MCU heroes who have arch enemies you've never heard of because we just did kind of talk about that or because Spider-Man After the Eternals is the next uh, movie coming out. We want to know 
things about the original Spider-Man trilogy that we never really thought of before. I like that one. I like the Spider-Man trilogy. It's a little a little nicer, a little yeah, more upbeat. Yeah, yeah. And I really love this first one. I think I've mentioned this before, and it's that moment where J. Jonah Jameson is being held up by his throat by the Green Goblin. And he asks, who is the photographer who takes the pictures of Spider-Man? He says, I don't know. His stuff comes in the mail. So J. Jonah Jameson (laughs) is an a-hole. We can all agree there. Oh, yeah. But he's about to die. He's being threatened. And he still defended Peter Parker. He could have said, Peter Parker. He's got to defend his sources at that point. He's still a, uh, he's still, well, he's an editor, but he's still a journalist at that point in time. Well, that, like, you just assume he's a piece of crap human being. He would sell anybody out. Like, he would sell out his mother for a good article. He you know, just but wants no. the pictures, damn it. Guiding pictures of Spider-Man. Anyways, uh, but it was one of those, like, when I, I had never thought of it until I saw this picture. It'll be interesting to see how, I mean, we saw what happened when he was far from home mm-hmm. uh, in that. And he turns into this weird sort of Alex Jonesy type internet uh, newsbreaker. It's perfect it, for it, today's day. It absolutely works. So it'll be interesting to see if, uh, obviously, that part is still going to be in No Way Home. Mm-hmm. So where is it going to go at this point? Right. Uh, another thing that we never really thought about is how relatable Tony McGuire's Spider-Man was. And it's because people mock, but there's so many memes out there about the expressions that mm-hmm. Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man makes. Like even when he's you know trying to hold back the train, it looks like <laughs> I've seen so many diarrhea gifts and memes and stuff. It's like when you go and have tacos, you know, ah, the diarrhea. Cha-cha-cha. But this person points out it's people have gotten too used to movies depicting superheroes as larger than life figures who always have to look flawless rather than someone who's putting an effort into saving others first and foremost and how good they look in the moment should be the least of anyone's concerns. Yeah. And I, that's when you can tell it's like a real, a, a real baddie when they don't look beautiful or when you could see the fatigue on them. Just like in the first episode, first or second episode of Daredevil on Netflix, where you see that one whole scene, it's just one shot. And he's just fighting all the goons. Yeah. And he's just, mm-hmm. you can tell he like leans up against the wall. He's exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's that, so real. It's that grittiness. And even, even in the second season with the Punisher in the jail, like it was so amazingly brutal. And it's just like one of those things where the hero isn't just taking on one person at a time, waiting for them just to whoop their ass and then, you know, move on to the next one uh, gracefully. It was, uh, you know, knock down, drag out, no holds barred, just fight to the death, which it is It is super gritty and, you know, obviously not for kids, but as a person who does love the action movies, uh, it's fun to be able to see something along those lines. Uh, somebody else pointed out something that maybe we didn't see, uh, like kind of on the same lines, that Tobey Maguire is the perfect Spider-Man. Their reasoning is, or at least was the best live action Peter Parker we have ever gotten. He's not a perfect comic adaptation, but he captures the pure nerdy goof mm-hmm. that is at the cores of Peter's character. I feel like Tom Holland does a really good job, especially with today's age. Yeah. I feel like he not only captures how much of a goof he is, but he captures how smart Peter Parker was. Toby's Peter was very amazing. Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man was pretty great. And then uh, Tom Holland was able to kind of put both of mm-hmm. those together into a fun way. Not so, not as much wisecracking, but it's just like, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, oh, let me get yeah. you. Like that almost. Uh, if Spider-Man was Canadian. Yeah, nah. yeah, exactly. Like, so I felt that like all three of them have had their, their ups and downs, mm-hmm. but they kind of were able to nail it 
uh, at least in a certain aspect. And again, with like Tom Holland's, like he isn't that that snarky version, mm-hmm. which I know a lot of people grew up with, but it's kind of that best. But at the same point, like Toby was a great Peter. And that's what they're saying. He's melodramatic. He has a chip on his shoulder towards people more well off than him. Is a little bit, you know of a jerk, yet he's still wholesome and kind and dorky, and he deals with all the hardships that Peter's supposed to deal with, and he has a genuinely beautiful and sweet relationship with Mary Jane. And Toby Spider-Man honestly has a great arc in the first two movies, and his growth from a good boy into a great man is unmatched. And his goofy charm is the heart and soul of the movies, and don't you dare say he's a bad Spider-Man or a bad Peter. No. I don't think he's a bad Spider-Man, especially because he did do a lot of the wisecracky Mm-hmm. You know, silliness. But I, I think Tom Holland is just. I feel like Toby Maguire never looked like a high schooler to me. Yeah. I, okay. I agree okay. With that. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like everything wise, Tom Holland. Like, I know he's in his twenties, but mm-hmm. he still captures. He's like, still got that baby face. That high schooler, which goes a long yeah. way. <laughs> Toby Spider-Man was portrayed to be older, anyways. Like Mary Jane's doing right. like productions and like you know these like it, theater it, performances and uh, what's his face? Harry Harry Osborne is like a gajillionaire. And well, he always to, was, <laughs> and they're supposed to be in high school. And you're like, I don't get why these people are being bullied. Yeah, so they were. I think they were seniors. They graduated and then they go on to you know. Yeah, they kind of went quickly. Out of the high school into it, I feel. Yeah, they wouldn't. They skipped yeah. college. That didn't even exist. They didn't need that. No, <laughs> no, they no, were no, trying no. to do it. I don't know. Oh, he already got his uh, his uh, his mail in uh, degree. There. But that's why Tom, or that's why Tom Holland is so good. Yeah, because he really do feel like he's in school, and he's like, I'm trying to date this 17 year old, and I'm, I'm trying, trying to, deal to with save all the world. Ass. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, something I didn't really realize that in the second Spider Man movie, you know how he's a pizza delivery guy. Mm-hmm. He's a pizza delivery guy for Joe's Pizza. Mm-hmm. Why haven't you brought us any pizza, Joe? Yeah, come on, Joe. But I don't have any webs. <laughs> if you take a close look on his helmet, it says Joe's Pizza, you know, the restaurant number and the restaurant address. And it's on 233 Bleecker Street. Okay. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like Baker Street, but from Sherlock. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they're saying that uh, that is supposed to be in the same the doctor where the Doctor Strange Mansion is. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. It's on the same street as the Doctor Strange Mansion. So That's were they funny. hoping at some point, like back in 2004, doing some sort of reunion or connection with Spider-Man and Doctor Strange? I don't think they could have been planning that that long ago, could they I mean, have? everyone's kind of had like, oh, well, we kind of want to go with like this with these characters. But then you get Spider-Man 3 and... <laughs> I just ended up looking up uh, 233 Bleecker Street. Uh, just on the the New York map, and it is a restaurant. <laughs> it's was a, it a go- pizza place? <laughs> no, it's called Wolf Knight's Gourmet Wraps. Ooh. Hmm. So maybe it was a pizza restaurant at some point, but uh, right now it actually looks very tasty. It's a cool thing they could do now, though, like if they tried to introduce it into these new movies and just yeah. happen to have it be like in Doctor Strange, they made that the street. Well, that would be super funny, though, just in this. He's like, I thought Joe's Pizza was here, and it's the Sanctum Sanctorum. That, like, that would oh. be funny. It's like, I can't get a pizza here, can I? You could get a mystical pizza. Oh, mystical pizza. Yes. <laughs> Wasn't that a movie with Julia Roberts? I think it was. Mystic pizza. Yes, yes, it was. Wow. I remember the movie poster. Oh, gosh. We just went off on a weird it's tangent. It's a fourth there. dimension yeah, pizza. You did. <laughs> huh, romance comedy. Might have to check that out. Yeah, but there you go. I kind of want to rewatch. I don't I don't remember the last time I saw any of the OG Tom, uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. And I kind of. It's I, been such a long time. And it was literally like when I saw the third one. And it left such a weird taste in my mouth. That I was like, okay, 
I'm cool. And then the Amazing Spider-Man came out, and like that was, was exciting. Like, yeah, and then the second one, and afterwards, I was like, okay, I'm cool. Yeah. And I'm really hoping that uh, No Way Home is not going to be the yeah, I'm cool. Yeah, because at this point, the track record's not looking great. Yeah. But I mean, it's Marvel and Sony mixing together. Come maybe, on, Marvel. They maybe. must make good babies. Oh, what? Their movies are the babies. Oh, oh, okay. Well, until next time, guys, stay nerdy.